Welcome to Happily Ever After is just the beginning. Keeping your relationship not just together, but happy, and we mean truly happy, is part art and part science. You've come to the right place. Here's your host, Leslie Dorries. Narcissism. It's a word that is thrown around a lot these days. But what does it actually mean? And how does it differ from someone who is just self-centered or maybe just clueless? And when it is real, how does it impact personal relationships? Well, I'm so glad you asked because narcissistic abuse coach, speaker, and the author of Wrecking Ball Relationships, How to Identify, Live With, or Leave the Narcissist in Your Life, love that title, is here to help clarify what narcissism is and how you can deal with it. And so Lynn Catalano is going to talk to us about that today. So Lynn, thanks so much for coming on and talking about, whoa, what is a timely topic. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me, Leslie. I, uh, I know it sounds strange, but I, I do love to talk about this uh, <laughs> because I do think that it helps people who are suffering from this type of abuse. Yes, and, and it definitely is. It, it's definitely not fun. So can you please define what narcissism is and also what it isn't? Yes, absolutely. And I, I've written a lot about this. I, I completely agree with you. I think that it's a term in our vernacular that people don't use properly. They bandy it around like a, a derogatory term if you take too many photographs of yourself, you know, that kind of thing. Right. And uh, it's certainly not that. Um, when I wrote my book, I consulted a lot of different uh, sources, including the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, the DSM, mm -hmm. and the um, American Psychiatric Association. And I'm going to use their um, definition right now, okay. American Psychiatric Association. So they stated that it begins in early adulthood and is seen in people with at least five of the following characteristics. So, number one, an exaggerated sense of self-importance. They expect to be recognized as superior without matching achievements. Hmm. Number two, a preoccupation with fantasies of unlimited success, power, brilliance, beauty, or ideal love. Number three, they believe he or she is special and should only associate with other special high-status people or institutions. Number four, they require excessive admiration. Mm -hmm. Number five, they have a strong sense of entitlement. Six, they selfishly take advantage of others to achieve their own ends. Seven, they lack empathy or genuine concern for others. Eight, they're often envious or believe others are envious of them. And nine, they show arrogant, haughty, patronizing, or contemptuous behavior. So that's okay, a lot. That sounds like somebody I want to rub elbows with. <laughs> right? I mean, and, and I want you to know that I truly believe, and I know that, that science is now supporting this, that, that uh, narcissism is really viewed on a spectrum similar mm -hmm. to how autism is viewed. So mm -hmm. that when you look at someone, they could have a few
few narcissistic tendencies. Um, I know for me, the narcissist in my life is always 10 out of 10. Whatever the characteristics are, he meets all of them. Um, not everyone is as unlucky. Mm -hmm. so. <laughs> well, because, um, because that's, you know, it, it's interesting because, you know, and, and we know that, it, that the term narcissist has shown up. I mean, it's been around for a long time, but it's taken quite a center stage over the last several years. Um, and, you know, I mean, because some of, the, some of the behaviors described, I mean, I would say that almost all of us, with the possible exception of the Pope and the Dalai Lama, um, you know, really would like to have life go our way. And if we can get it set up so life goes our way, we're happy. Um, but I think that there are some characteristics that are specific to narcissism that makes it just different than, I don't know, run-of-the-mill run self-centeredness, I guess is what I'm asking. I mean, is there a difference? Yeah. Well, yes, absolutely. I mean, sure, we all like special treatment, and we all like to be, um, you know, uh, have good things happen to us, absolutely. But that's not narcissism. And, you know, one of the, the biggest benchmarks of narcissism is uh, the lack of, or lack of ability to exhibit any kind of empathy. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, just because we, we want a good table in a restaurant or good seats in the theater, that doesn't make us a narcissist. But our inability to express any kind of empathy, to, to walk a mile in someone else's shoes, is perhaps the, the easiest indicator to, to really determine who that person is. Mm-hmm. And so um, how, would, how would you recognize somebody that lacks empathy? Well, for me, it was pretty easy. I can, <laughs> I can tell you a short story. Um, for me, you know, I uh, lost my mother quite suddenly. Uh, she passed away at 66, and she had congestive heart failure that we did not know about. It was not mm -hmm. diagnosed. Mm -hmm. And within the year, she passed away. I was in my 30s. And mm -hmm. within the year, I, I have a, a husband and uh, at the time, two small children. Within the year, um, my doctor diagnosed me with an irregular heartbeat, and I had a, a rapid heartbeat. Mm -hmm. And he, um, you know, gave me an EKG and told me I needed to see a cardiologist. Well, Obviously, I was quite frightened and mm -hmm. certainly um, beyond scared since I had just lost my mother this way. Right. And my narcissist is my father. Mm -hmm. And so here in my own kitchen is my father. And I was thankful that my husband was there to witness this because it's the kind of thing that when it happens, you think, did that really just happen? Like you question right. yourself. Like, right. Wait, Whoa, did I just imagine that? It's like, am I putting more yeah. weight on that? You know, it's like, wait, yeah. yeah. What was that? So I said to him in a very concerned voice, as one would, you know, Dad, I'm really scared. You know, here, obviously he knew what had just happened to my mother. Right. And I told him that I had just had this 
EKG and my doctor was really worried and was sending me to a cardiologist and I just, I'm, I'm really frightened and I'm, uh-huh. I'm nervous and I'm scared. And he said, I know my back has been killing me. <laughs> yeah, I can understand so, why that would be kind of like a, what? <laughs> like I, I, I've been looking for hidden cameras for quite a right. while because I mean, why else would I be subject to this type of thing? Like, surely someone is watching and laughing somewhere, right? Like, right. <laughs> this is crazy, crazy. So I realized, I didn't realize it at the time. Trust me, it right. took me a, a years, years to figure it out. But that combined with a lot of other indicators uh, led me to the conclusion that 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 he suffers from narcissistic personality disorder, but mm-hmm. that lack of empathy, like he just can't. I mean, at one point, you know, here my kids were little, and certainly a grandparent, we would think, would take great joy in their only two grandchildren. Mm-hmm. And he once said to me, like, "What do you expect me to talk to her about?" And like at the time, I think my one of my daughters was, you know, like five. Well, what do you talk to a five-year-old about? Whatever, whatever's happening in her life, you know? Right. Like, what do you mean? Get out and have a tea party with her. Yeah. yeah. Like, what do you mean? So, um, yes, the, the, the inability to exhibit empathy looks a little bit like that. So, so that's one way that narcissism shows up in relationships. What are, what are some other ways that, that they show up, that a nar- narcissism shows up? So one of the, um, I, I, I actually have, I have 10 red flags. I don't know if I'll have time for all 10, but um, I like to help people learn to identify uh, the narcissist in their life, certainly. Uh-huh. And, and one of those red flags is that they need to have control. They need to control the situation, the people, all of it. They need to be in control, and if they're not, they're going to undermine and belittle and demean and discount whoever is in control until they capitulate, or they're just going to throw a tantrum, and that, that could take place in, as a rage storm um, in, in lots of forms. Mm-hmm. Um, narcissists don't like to be challenged because it interrupts their control. So don't question them. Oh, and not, to mention, to not to mention their sense of, of specialness and, and well, you know, superiority. Yes. <laughs> right, right. So that goes without question, right? Their, their excessive need uh, to be recognized and envied as well as they, need to, they, they feel they're always the smartest person in the room. But mm. the, the control thing, you know, if you don't want a reaction – you need to stay on their script. I found that any time that I got a reaction from my narcissist, it was when I went off of his script. Because that's, I mean, because, you know, but that happens all the time. I mean, you know, this is one of the things when I work with my, with my clients, it's like, okay, so in your head, you have this playing out in this particular way. You forgot to share that with everybody else involved. And, oh, my, by the way, they have their own scripts about how this is all going to play out. And that's generally what happens is your script comes head-to-head with my script. And now not, we have to, you know, and, and neither one of us gets it played out exactly the way we want. So 
Right. So right. what makes what makes it different with a narcissist? Is it just that there's no they give no quarter, that it's just you know, they're just gonna browbeat you into submission? Well, if you by staying on their script, you're giving them what they need. So you're giving them their narcissistic supply, which is all of that adulation and admiration and recognition and envy. And, you know, I can't tell you how many times my mother used to say to my father, oh, no one can do that like you. That organization would be lost without you. Well, no, they wouldn't. They'd be fine. <laughs> and, you know, like, yeah, nobody's like, indispensable, well, unfortunately, no. but whatever, you know. So why, why, why? But that was her job. Her job was to provide that supply. And with narcissists, they lie all the time. They lie to make themselves sound better, to look better. They lie to pretend they're compassionate. They don't even realize they're lying. Mm-hmm. And they believe all their own lies. Right. Like it's all in their own false reality. So, and the other big thing is, they don't communicate well or sometimes at all. Mm. So, you know, here we're talking about them staying on a, on a script, you staying on their script. Mm-hmm. They, don't, they don't always tell you exactly what you should say or where you should be or what you should be doing. They expect you to know what they want, and then mm. they get upset when you can't read their mind. Now, I believe that all of that goes to their low emotional intelligence. Sure. You know, and that that's one of the reasons, you know, the the inability to communicate, the lack of empathy, um, the lying, all of that is about a, a lack of emotional intelligence. Wow. So, yeah. this is Happily Ever After is just the beginning on webtalkradio.net. I'm Leslie Dorries, and I'm talking narcissism and its impact on relationships with narcissistic abuse coach, speaker, and author, Lynn Catalano. And whether you're in a relationship with a narcissist or just in a relationship that leaves you hurting and frustrated, the longer things go unresolved, the more damage is going to be done. And if you're looking to have a better relationship, I can help. So I'm inviting you to please take a moment right now and send me an email or give me a call to schedule your free, no obligation, five-star relationship discovery call. You can reach me by phone at area code 919-924-0463. That's 919-924-0463. Or you can reach me by email at leslie, L-E-S-L-I, at foundationscoachingnc.com. That's F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N-S coaching and is in Nancy C is in Charlie.com. And I want to get back to this conversation about narcissism and relationships. So Lynn, can a narcissist change? So that's a really difficult question because experts agree that most, and I'm never going to generalize all, but mm-hmm. most people who suffer from narcissistic personality disorder Number one, they never seek help. Okay. Because they they don't believe that anything's wrong. Right. They, I, I'm fine. It's the rest of the world that's crazy, right? Right. So that's that's a problem because could they change? Possibly. Mm-hmm. But if they never seek help, we'll never know. 
So, like, this is the one personality disorder where the victims are more likely to seek therapy and coaching and counseling than the actual people who suffer from the disorder. Mm. So would it, I, I guess because you'd said earlier that narcissism is on a continuum and like you said, your, your narcissist was a 10 out of 10 and maybe, yeah. maybe, somebody, maybe somebody else would only qualify and, and technically they would not be met with the diagnosis if they only had three out of those right. contributing right. factors. But um, because I think you said they needed to have five for a clinical diagnosis. And and again, if I'm living with a narcissist or somebody who has these tendencies, I don't really care if it's a clinical description or if they match the clinical definition. So is it the people who might be have fewer of those um, that are identifiers might, might be more willing or able to change? Yes. Agreed. Absolutely. Absolutely. I just, I've just never met someone that that had one without the other, and I've never mm-hmm. coached someone who had a relationship with someone who only had one or two. <laughs> and you know, um, you know. Well, I, mean, so, I mean, but, but I, I mean, I know that when I went went to school, and, and you you get you get a copy of the DSM, and you're reading, you know, and of course you're studying for the exam, and you're like going, oh, I have that. And, Oh, I have that too. It's like you, you suddenly you think you have every mental disorder in the book, literally. Um, right. You know, and, I mean, and I and I think that maybe what is so difficult about you know because I think there are a lot of people who just don't know who don't have the relationship skills, and a lot of their behavior might look like narcissism, but it's the difference between narcissism and just a bad relationship. Well, here's the thing. Things that could show up in toxic relationships with a narcissist, if they're controlling your time, if they're controlling your finances, these are big red flags. These mm-hmm. are things you should be questioning. Mm-hmm. You, you know, the idea of monitoring where you are every moment and texting and calling you know, a hundred times a day, this is not normal behavior. No. If they're isolating you from your family and friends, not normal. If they are uh, not allowing you to have any financial independence, that is you have to clear every expense with them and that you, they, they track everything that you spend money on, this is problematic. Mm-hmm. So these are all things that could occur in a relationship with a narcissist, Mm -hmm. they like to use uh, punishment tactics like the silent treatment, Mm -hmm. gaslighting, and triangulation. And those are really not tactics used by people who don't suffer with narcissistic personality disorder. So, like, those are things that you're going to see. You know, I coached one client whose uh, significant other would give them the silent treatment while they were living in the same house for months at a time. Oh, my gosh. And yet they, they still weren't convinced that this was uh, a, someone who suffered from narcissistic personality disorder. And I said, listen, normal relationships. This is not how we function. And right. the, 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 the significant other refused, categorically refused to discuss anything, no matter how many times they tried. 
So, like, these are not normal reactions. Right. So it almost sounds as if, I mean, as, as you were going through some of this stuff, I'm thinking because I got my start working at a domestic violence shelter. And, you know, a lot of this sounds like, like you know, the, the prime components of, of an abuser without, yeah. without the, you know, physical assault. I mean, you know, and... and well, 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 guess what, Leslie? Emotional abuse is abuse. Oh, it is abuse. Absolutely. And right. in fact, and right. in fact, the thing is, is that people, you know, I mean, I've, I've actually had people tell me, well, you know, my, 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 my partner doesn't hit me and I'm going, well, that's a pretty dang low bar. I mean, you know, as far as I'm concerned, that should be a given. That should not be like right. something that, I mean, yes, should we celebrate we're not being hit, but yeah. You know, I mean, it, and they're missing a lot of, you know, because I, 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 you never get physical abuse without the emotional abuse, although you can have the emotional abuse without the physical abuse. And the, what, the other thing that, that I was told is that in, in many cases, my clients, they said, I'd rather be hit because at least the bruises heal. And I mean, wow. yeah, wow. I mean, that was my reaction. I'm going, oh, my God, you know, because, because that's how damaging this is. And, you know, I mean, and my personal opinion is whether or not somebody's a diagnosed narcissist or not, if they're engaging in these harmful behaviors, it's like, okay, let, we don't need to label them, but we do need to take action. So what are some actions that, I mean, short of leaving, and even if you leave, I had a client who was married to a narcissist, and she finally did end up leaving him, but unfortunately they had children together, so, yeah, so it was still like, okay, you know, I mean, she, it was much healthier for her because she wasn't living 24-7 in this toxic stew, but she was still right. dealing with the repercussions from it, so... I mean, because you, you're, because you're the, you're, the title of your book, um, how to identify, live with, or leave. So, I mean, it's like, okay, identifying and leaving, but what is this living with? Well, so here's the thing. When your narcissist is your parent or right. your sibling, mm. you know, that it's difficult to leave them forever, right? Because right. they're always going to be that person in your life. Mm-hmm. So I do talk about that. And then I, I do talk about strategies to live with this, these people. You know, mm-hmm. um, I don't know that being with them 24-7 is ever sustainable because mm-hmm. I think that the, the emotional pain and baggage is too much. But I do think that if it's your parent, you can figure out ways with some of my strategies to peacefully coexist mm-hmm. for temporary periods of time, right? So whether it's a, it's a dinner or it's a holiday or it's a special occasion, you can get through this. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of actually cohabitating is probably not sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I do I do have coaching clients where they are co-parenting with their ex narcissist, mm-hmm. and as you stated, you know that that feels like a life sentence. And um, 
that's more of counter-parenting than co-parenting. Mm-hmm. But again, I teach them to learn how to coexist, and and they can. So, so what are some of the things that you recommend? Um, number one, you need to really focus on your mental and emotional health. Okay. Because you need to protect yourself. So number one, I suggest establishing boundaries. And you have to be willing to stick to them. Mm-hmm. So you have to commit to them because, you know, a lot of times we let people dictate the way we're going. Yep. So you need to make a commitment to that and say, you know what, I'm going to see this person during this window of time and I'm, I'm not going to let them tell me when they can do it. I'm going to tell them when I'm available. Mm-hmm. And... I'm going to tell them I don't need to speak to you on the phone ahead of time. I don't need to have that conversation. I will see you between, you know, two and four, and that's when when we can be together, and then that's it. And the other thing is narcissists love to provoke their victims. They do things to get a reaction out of you. Mm Mm-hmm. And this is hard. <laughs> I, I tell people, you have to learn not to react. You can't give them that satisfaction mm-hmm. of reacting. They want you to. Right. And it, it makes them grow bored with you <laughs> when you don't react. It really does. It's like they're like, I'm going to go bother somebody else. Like, this isn't working out. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I do a lot of uh, breathing techniques and some, um, I, I have very little patience, but I, I like, so I do like meditation for those people with no patience. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> because I think that you need to be calm. You can't be reactive. Mm-hmm. So in order to get there, you need to do some breathing and and you need to tell yourself, no matter what this person says, I'm not going to take this personally. Mm-hmm. They have an illness. They have narcissistic personality disorder. So, you know, what I told people in my book was that I learned to make space for my father's mental illness. Mm-hmm. But it took me longer to make space for my own post-traumatic stress from all of the abuse. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that because this is, it is real trauma. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, and it's part of, part of being able to not take things personally is, is to heal our own trauma and and not blame ourselves because you know because the other thing and we haven't really talked about it but a lot of times and you know narcissists on on the surface are incredibly charming yes and yes 
you know, and they can, you know, and, and, and in the beginning, you, you know, I mean, and, and I don't know, I don't know enough about it, but I don't, I, I don't know if they necessarily do it on purpose or whether they do it because they just know it works. And I know people will go, well, what's the difference? And it's like, well, <laughs> you know, um, it, 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 it's a level of consciousness, but it, but it's sort of like you were talking about that, that they'll get bored with you if, if you're not giving them the reaction. And so it almost sounds as if the way in which they lure people in is by, you know, in the beginning, they're not showing these, tendencies they don't show them until they kind of hook you and then it's like oh okay is is that an accurate description yes okay. yes so it's interesting if it's a romantic relationship obviously that's different right. than this parent child or sibling right. or friend but right. you're born into it. you know there's a period of time obviously everyone calls it like a honeymoon period but uh -huh. with with someone who suffers from narcissistic personality disorder they're known for love bombing you in the beginning of the relationship. And mm -hmm. so love bombing is exactly what it sounds like. They are overly affectionate. They um, do these things where they'll take you places and, you know, like almost acting out your fantasies. Mm -hmm. And they will, um, you know, be your prince or princess charming. And mm -hmm. they're charismatic, and just everything is moonlight and roses. And then all of a sudden, it's not. Yes. And then you go into that next phase. And there's probably not a lot of indicators so that you think you're still in this fantasy mm -hmm. relationship, this honeymoon, and the other person, it's like Jekyll and Hyde. They mm -hmm. have... They have turned sullen, and they no longer want to do those things with you or take you to those fantastic places, and now they want to control all aspects of your life, and they start to devalue you. Mm -hmm. And the devaluation stage is really awful. This is where they belittle and they minimize you, and this is they're isolating you from your family and friends. Uh, this can be a really, really detrimental period of time because, of course, we want to make it work. Right. Like the people, the, the victims, we don't want to walk away. We want to make this work, whatever it is. So we're willing to take it. Like we right. take and, and all of and And they're telling us right. it's our fault. So, yeah. you know, so, yeah. so, we're, so we turn ourselves into pretzels trying to figure out, like you were saying, how to – how, you know, how to be proactive and read their script without them letting us know, you know, it's the proverbial yeah. walking on eggshells. Um, yeah. You know, and, exactly. and, and you, so my question, and you said that your husband happened to witness this conversation between you and your father. Um, yeah. And, but do narcissists do this kind of thing in public or do, or is it mostly behind closed doors, just you and me. So other people think I'm crazy. Yeah. So um, they're known to, that's one of my red flags is they're known to wear a mask mm -hmm. in, in public, you know, in public, my father is this, this very important person who is community activist and he's very 
Like he loves to be recognized and he loves to go places and have people recognize him and he doesn't know who they are. And th- he's like a big man on campus all the time. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. Most people don't know what he's truly like because mm-hmm. he doesn't have anyone close to him. Mm-hmm. So they don't get to see those tantrums and hear these horrible things that he has said to me over the years. So the easy answer is yes. But there are times where they have a complete, you know, nuclear meltdown and there are other people to see it. Mm -hmm. I mean, with my father, he had no problem having a meltdown in front of my husband and children, like so detrimental to my children, Mm -hmm. you know, to like for him to stop talking to them. Yeah. So really, well, really awful to have like a six-year-old say to you, why, why isn't Papa talking to me? So. <laughs> because, because, because Papa is ill and, you know, I mean, it is yeah. and you have to talk to it. And so this is such a fascinating subject and we could continue to talk about it for hours because it's like, you know, and, yeah. and, and again, I, I want people to understand that, that narcissism is a thing. It really is. And, you know, and, and again, there are, like you've heard today, there are some, some things to be on the lookout for. And, and again, it's, it's not necessarily that we don't want to take a look at ourselves, but when, you know, but when you start to think, no, 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 this is really not me, <laughs> then maybe it really is them. So Lynn, can you, um, yeah talk about can you tell people where they can one get a copy of your book um to any you know, learn learn more about you because this is i think this is such an important thing that that we all need to be much more aware of it than we've been in the past i think well thank you um please come to my website uh lynncatalano.com l-y-n-n-c-a-t-a-l-a-n-o.com and there's information there and a link uh, to buy the book. And you can see uh, my course and all my uh, speaking engagements, et cetera. But I'd love to help because I feel like my purpose, after experiencing this awful journey, this painful terror, emotional terrorism is what it mm-hmm. feels like, um, I, I wanted to write the book so that people would understand what was happening to them. Because that's part of this. You know, you feel lost and confused. Like the person that you trusted and thought loved you the most has changed and they're saying and doing these awful things. Mm-hmm. And you think, what, what did I do? Why, why, what did I do to deserve this? And guess what? You don't deserve this. Right. And it, it's not your fault. And the other big part is you're not alone. I think that we all take comfort in learning that other people have experienced similar things and knowing that we can get through this. Well, and, and, that's, so that, yeah. and that's so yeah. critically important um, because, yeah. you know, a lot of this stays behind closed doors. And, and really to get through anything like this, you, you actually do need support. So, but what I want people to understand is, you know, if you're unhappy in your relationship, and if things are going off, it doesn't really matter if your partner is a diagnosed narcissist. If they are, if they're engaging in behaviors that are hurtful and uncaring, 
and whatever. It's like something needs to change. <laughs> and yeah. if your partner yeah. is a narcissist, there are some specific challenges you need to deal with, as we've talked about today, and especially yeah. if you have children together. But the, yeah. the, the truth of the matter is, is doing nothing won't make anything better. And right. the biggest thing is, is you know, and, and as Lynn was talking about, these, these, some of these challenges, setting boundaries, that's very scary. Tr learning how to know that when you interact with this person, I mean, it's kind of like arming yourself before you interact with them. It's like, okay, I know what's coming. And we need to get yeah. out of the mindset that, oh, this time it's going to be different. Um, and it may right. be, and if it is, great, but if not, mm. So my question for you is what actions are you willing to take and what will help you do that? And one of the things that will help you do that is to get Lynn's book and go to her website. Um, but hopefully something else that you will continue to do is you'll continue to listen to this show and to wonderful guests like Lynn. And until next week, stay loving. <laughs>